coming up on today's episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. The wild harvest of oysters out of Apalachicola has pretty much come to a halt. Nothing has come out of Apalachicola Bay in nearly three years now. I'm from New Jersey originally. I moved to Florida what about exit? <laughs> eight <laughs> off of the highway. No way. Yeah, exit Princeton nine. area. Exit Very nine. cool. Hey, neighbor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank and aside you. from having baby oysters on the way, you have a baby human baby, on the way. Yes, too. we do. And we actually call her Baby Oyster because we're not <laughs> revealing the name until she's born. So. Coming to you from St. Petersburg, Florida, you're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the show that's the authority on where to eat in St. Pete. Here are your hosts, Kevin Godby and Lori Brown. Hi. I'm Kevin Godby. And I'm Lori Brown. Thank you for tuning in today. Welcome to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast, the podcast that's it when it comes to restaurants and food information in St. Pete. And be sure to check out our website, stpetersburgfoodies.com. There you'll find great information, including restaurant reviews, the largest St. Pete happy hour list ever created and kept updated, and information on the newest restaurants in town. We are locals that live in downtown St. Pete, and we've been eating our way through this town for years, so you don't have to, but you should. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Just hit the subscribe button, and you'll get notified when an episode is ready for download. And then you can listen to them anytime you want, like on your morning jog or commute to work. On today's show, our featured guests are Brian and Lindsay Rossiger from Lost Coast Oyster Farm. Lost Coast is Tampa Bay's first sustainable oyster farm. We, of course, talk all about oysters, and we eat a ton of them, too. And our musical guest today is Scott Anderson. We We have have a great great show, so stick around. How many times have you heard a restaurant say that they have healthy food that actually tastes great? I've heard it a lot, but unfortunately, it's usually one or the other and not both until the brass bowl came around. Right. Their food actually is healthy and tastes so darn delicious. So good. They use organic ingredients and responsibly sourced seafood. Brass Bowl offers gluten-free, vegan, and carnivorous options. There truly is something for everyone. You will find imaginative flatbreads, bowls, and tasty delicious small plates with options like fresh roasted seasonal veggies, 24-hour sous vide hanger steak, house-smoked salmon, and free-range chicken breast. And up front, they have a cold-pressed juice station and separate menu with juice bowls and elixir shots. It's like two open kitchens in one. Brass Bowl Kitchen and Juicery is really on the cutting edge of the fast, casual culture that is enjoying so much fame these days. Go get bowled over by Brass Bowl. Brass Bowl Kitchen and Juicery is located at 656 Central Avenue in downtown St. Pete. And you can check them out on the web at BrassBowlKitchen.com. One of our favorite places to go eat in St. Pete is Engine Number 9. They've been a staple in downtown St. Pete coming up on seven years, and they are famous for their unique and tasty burger creations. As a matter of fact, they are on the St. Pete Foodies list of best burgers in St. Pete. They also made the best hot dogs list, the best chilies, and the best wings in St. Pete. Aside from the food, Engine Number 9 is a great sports bar with lots of TVs, beer, and wine. And you can even get a regular old cheeseburger, too, so you can bring your non-adventurous eater friends. 
Check out Engine Number no. 9 at the corner of MLK and 1st Avenue North in downtown St. Pete. Their burgers can't be beat. Thanks for listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. Please welcome Brian and Lindsay Roseger of Lost Coast Oyster. Welcome, welcome guys. Yeah. Thank you Thank for, you having, for having, us. having us. And Lori normally asks this question, but did I say your last name right? Uh, it's Rossiger. Rossiger. Close enough. <laughs> it's okay. I've been dealing with that one my whole life. So um, <laughs> sure. we'll let it slide. How did you guys get to the point to where you decided, hey, I know what we should do. Let's be oyster farmers. It was really a, the perfect storm of everything kind of coming together. Um, I got out of school from the University of South Florida in 2011, and I began working on the oil spill, uh, doing the damage assessment, particularly to oysters. Through that experience, I kind of recognized that there was a shortage of oysters coming out of the Gulf region. The wild harvest of oysters out of Apalachicola has pretty much come to a halt. Nothing has come out of Apalachicola Bay in nearly three years now. So uh, that coupled with some changes in the regulations that allowed for, you know, that were more conducive to farming here in the state of Florida, those things coming together was really the impetus that started Mm -hmm. this whole idea. And I kind of married into it. I've always been an oyster lover from the consumption part of it. Brian's more of the science side of it. And since we've been married um, and really have been together, he's been talking about oysters, I'd say, the whole time. And he's really been talking about putting a farm together. It's been a dream of his. So to watch him go from idea to actual execution and being a part of that has been really cool to watch. He's definitely persevered through a lot. It's taken three years to get to where we are. So I'm all on board now and have learned a lot from him. That's awesome. We'll talk more about that process in a little bit. But so tell us where you're from and how you guys met. I'm from New Jersey originally. I moved to Florida. What exit? (laughs) eight off of the highway no way yeah princeton area very cool hey neighbor (laughs) (laughs) we're definitely classified by our exit so it's a thing and she's central jersey central jersey north it does exist it does Mm -hmm. i know there are a lot kevin always says central jersey (laughs) there are a lot of jersey people down here so they'll understand yes um i moved down to go to usf i was a dance major so i did ballet my whole life i know completely different than being in the shellfish world Mm -hmm. um and i really just have haven't looked back. I hate cold weather, so I am definitely a Floridian now here to stay. And I went to USF, like I said. Um, that's where I met Brian. Yeah, I grew up in Lakeland, and I went to USF. And uh, I studied environmental science there. And uh, it's taken me on some interesting uh, consulting jobs and, and you know, put me in situations that I never imagined that I'd be in. I mean, um, when I started my career, I was kind of thinking I'd be in more of this biology-focused environmental work, and uh, I found myself, uh, you know, consulting, doing contamination assessments and, and, and <laughs> things I never imagined I'd be doing. So uh, I'm really excited to kind of get back into my roots and, uh, you know, following my passions. Nice. So yeah. you're kind of a self-professed science nerd. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, Or geek. I just well, I, geek. I, I, That's how I introduce him to people. So what happens is I'll start talking about something and I'll be explaining it. And all of a sudden, Lindsay, she'll just chime in. Nerd. And she'll, nerd. Nerd. Yep. That's it. Like that. Yep. 
All right, so I, I didn't step on any toes by saying no, that. No, it's it's an endearing thing. <laughs> yes. I, I love when he goes into science talks, I'm, and I'm, I learn a lot from him, and so do other people. So. I'm proud to be a nerd. <laughs> He's very smart. So you guys met at USF, and then you dated for how long, and you got married, and all that stuff? Well, we're actually in what we call our second life now. So we dated in college, and mm-hmm. you know how college relationships are. You right. grow apart. We, we both, um, Brian moved for his job. We kind of lost touch for about, what, five years or so. Mm-hmm. And then we reconnected, and so now we're in our second life. Nice. <laughs> and here we are. That's a great story. Yeah. Awesome. And we just celebrated well, four years Yeah. our second life? Yes. Yeah. About to be two years <laughs> married. Yeah. Two years married, four years. Congratulations. Yes. Thanks. That's awesome. Thank and you. aside from having baby oysters on the way, you have a baby human baby. on the way, yes, too. Yes, you do. And we actually call her Baby Oyster, because we're not <laughs> revealing the name until she's born. So Right. Yeah, in about eight weeks, we'll have another baby human on board with us. We're very excited. We nice. hope she likes oysters. But congratulations. I am sure she will. She Thank has you. two great genes. <laughs> Combined together, I should say. Yes. So I know that this is an audio podcast, but for those of you that are listening, if you could see right now, you'd look over in the sink and you would see a heaping pile of empty shells. You and, would. Uh, we uh, brought some oysters over and had them with Kevin and Lori. Uh, we picked them up from Sammy Seafood. Uh, I don't know if... Are yeah. you guys familiar? You've been we are. Totally. We are, yeah. Totally. Okay. Sammy's Love gets Sammy's a lot of good props. Yeah. We actually have a, another Facebook group, Foodies Home Creations. I don't know if you guys are in it, but in that group, people talk about Sammy's Seafood all the time. Oh, so, very yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have a good variety of stuff, and we go there a lot if we are going to a party, and we always bring oysters to parties, which we're going to tonight, so we'll just stop by there and pick some up. Awesome. So all the parties and podcasts you go to, you bring oysters. Yes. That's it. Yeah. So you brought, known for. you brought two different kinds of oysters. I did. So I brought some wild harvested, generically branded Gulf oysters from right. Texas. And then we brought some um, riptides from Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to kind of pick two different oysters that would have a different flavor profile um, mm-hmm. so that we could kind of taste the difference between the two. And so uh, what did you guys think, you know, from... Comparing the the Texas oyster to the Massachusetts, what was the main difference? Well, it was interesting. You you shucked the Texas ones first, and they were much larger in size, which I guess is a tendency for Gulf oysters. From what I understand, is they tend to be larger in size. Yeah, uh, they have a we have a a prolonged growing season because Mm -hmm. of the warm water temperatures. So, where it might take a grower two to three years to bring a product to market in the Northeast, we can do it here in the Gulf in usually about a year. Right. And I thought those were those were really good. They didn't have a lot of salinity, as you pointed out as you were shucking them, that mm-hmm. you, you said the um, other oysters would have more salinity to them, the ones from Massachusetts. And those were the farm-raised ones are the ones from Massachusetts, correct? Correct. Yes. I liked them both. And at first, I tasted the Massachusetts oyster, the farm-raised oyster, and I thought it was a little bit too salty. But then when I put the sauce that you made, which was... It's a mignonette. It's yes. uh but it was your own homemade version. Homemade version. It's nothing special. Yeah, it's just it was uh, delicious. Red wine vinegar, um, some shallots, some uh, crushed red paper, red pepper mm-hmm. flakes. Give it a little bit of that spice there. Red onion. No, just shallots. Oh, just shallots. Yep. Okay, shallots. No got onion. it. Okay, kind of now, the onion family. When you put the mignonette sauce with the the salinity or the oyster with the more salinity, I actually liked that the best. That's good. Yeah, mm. interesting. It was yeah. Delicious. yeah, the golf ones were definitely quite mild, mm-hmm. mm, very tasty, but meaty and good. Yeah, yeah, meaty and good. And then the uh, Massachusetts ones, yeah, very. It reminded me. We mentioned before, Lindsay and I are both from New Jersey. It reminded me when we would go, and you don't go to the beach 
You, you go, go down the shore. You go down the shore. <laughs> There's I, a taste of the shore. When we go down the shore <laughs> and I'd be swimming in the ocean and accidentally get some water in my mouth. That's mm-hmm. it? Yeah. So obviously it's when I, if I'm going to ask, well, why are they different like that? Well, probably there's more salt in the water in that area. That's right. Yeah. But is there anything else in the environment or is it just that? It's a number of different things. Um, we have more kind of like uh, muddy and silty bottoms here in the Gulf of Mexico. So sometimes that contributes to the taste profile. Mm-hmm. Um, they might have more firm sandy bottoms up in uh, the Northeast. And then if you ever have an oyster from the Pacific Northwest, it might have like a minerally taste to it because mm-hmm. they have kind of like those pebbly type beaches. Right, so, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, much like a wine takes on the uh, terroir of where the region where it's grown. Right, that's mm-hmm. cool. The, um, uh, they've adopted this new word for oysters. It's called meroir. Uh, ah. Like <laughs> mer from yeah. the, sea. the sea. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. That's awesome. While we were eating these delicious oysters that you were so kind and generous to bring over and shuck for yes, us. Yes, thank you so much. Um, you were also telling us about some of the uh, nutritional value we were talking about. Yeah, so they're, um, oysters are a great source of protein. They have um, really high concentrations of zinc and vitamin B12. Also, omega fatty acids, and they're mm-hmm. very—they're they're not very high in carbs, so, um, so they're pretty healthy, really. Uh, healthy all around. Yeah, protein, omega three fatty acids, perfect for the keto diet, and a great aphrodisiac because of the <laughs> zinc you said, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. Very important. Zinc me up, baby. Me so horny. <laughs> and I think oysters are cool to eat because it's one of the only things where you can say you're consuming the entire. I guess, animal, if you will, in one gulp. That's mm-hmm. true. You can't really say that about anything else. Yeah, Other bivalves, but... Yeah, and I never even realized, thought about the anatomy. You were showing us some really cool oh, stuff. Oh, that was but so cool. They yeah. actually have yeah. gills. Yep. They have gills. And a heart. And a heart. A heart. And, and uh, muscle. You can see their stomach. Sometimes you can see, you know... Um, yeah, we had one you said that had some food in there. Yeah, yeah. Some <laughs> plankton. Yeah, some plankton. Sometimes they'll get a little bit of grit in them, you know, because they that's are... That's because of the plankton in the in the belly? Yeah, they're they're filter feeders, so they're, they're uh, you know, pulling in whatever's in the ambient water column, mm-hmm. and so sometimes they get some sand in there, but it's okay. Sand's good for you. Yeah, I'd never actually looked at the anatomy of an oyster. It was so fascinating. You can pull back... What did you call the first layer? Uh, it's the mantle. Okay. It covers yeah. up the, uh, the gills there. Right. That was really cool. And how are oysters classified and like how many, how many different types are there? So they are a mollusk in the, uh, in the broadest sense. In the United States, we have five species of oysters. Everything that's on the Atlantic seaboard through the Gulf of Mexico is one species. It's Chrysostria virginica, the eastern oyster. Mm -hmm. So those two oysters that we tasted today, they were technically the same species. They were just grown in different, different water totally different environments. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's pretty cool. And then out in uh, the Pacific, I think there are four varieties out there. There's Olympia, Pacifica, Kumamoto, and something else that's escaping me right now, but <laughs> it's okay. We're talking to Brian and Lindsay Rossiker of Lost Coast Oyster, and we will be right back and get into some of the really cool details on the oyster farm. We'll be right back. I love soup, and I'm always in search of a great soup. Ramen is just so complex and delicious with layers of complex flavors in its broth. Buya Ramen is one of my favorite places in downtown St. Pete, so much so that I recently included them on my top five Asian noodle soups list for their pork belly ramen. Now, Buya's success is not just about the ramen. 
It's a hip, upbeat environment meant for unwinding and socializing with house-crafted cocktails, a large selection of Japanese whiskey, and izakaya, too. Those are small plates of different types of appetizers that are delicious, as well as the ramen. The ambiance of the place, along with the friendliness of the owners and staff, really adds to the character and charm of Buya. And to add to its coolness, the owners are actually opening up four more stores, one in Miami and three in Berlin of all places. Yes, Berlin, Germany. How cool is that? Buya Ramen is located at 911 Central Avenue in downtown St. Pete and is open seven days a week at 11 a.m. Do ya, Buya? Have you been to Pacific Counter? It is one of the newest fast casual concepts located on one of the fastest growing blocks in St. Pete, the 600 block of Central Avenue. They offer build your own bowls, burritos, or salads with a variety of the freshest bases, toppings, and sauces to satisfy anyone's craving and put you in charge. There are actually 6,432,189 combinations possible. Overwhelmed by build your own? I know that I sometimes am. Well, you can also choose from their counter creations menu already picked for you. The first couple of times we ate there, that's exactly what I did. Then I decided to get adventurous. For bases, they offer sushi rice, brown rice, noodles, or greens. Sushi rice seems to be the norm, but I'm not a big rice person, so I finally tried the noodles, and to say I fell in love is an understatement. They are actually sweet potato noodles, I found out later, and I have no idea how they make them seem like rice noodles. I added fresh tuna and salmon, my choice of toppings and a sauce, which I didn't even need because the bowl was so good without it. I told Kevin I could eat this every day and I would probably lose weight and love it at the same time. If you haven't checked out Pacific Counter, I would highly recommend it. They are open for lunch and dinner, have a variety of unique alcoholic and non-alcoholic drink options, and they have the beloved Dole Whip. Find your fresh at Pacific Counter. Pacific Counter is located at 660 Central Avenue in downtown St. Pete. They are open 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Sunday through Thursday and 11 a.m. to midnight on Friday and Saturday. We are back! We are back! We are back on the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast with Brian and Lindsay Rossiger of Lost Coast Oyster. And that is an oyster farm, not just an oyster farm, but it's the like first one in well, Tampa Bay, Florida. Well, not the Bay, first Florida, one, but re- resurrected, right? The first full water lo- column lease okay. granted by the state of Florida. Ah, um, in Tampa Bay. In Tampa, Tampa Bay, Bay, yes. Yes, <laughs> definitely okay. not the state of Florida. Right. Awesome. But signed off, signed by the Governor DeSantis. Governor. Yeah, that is mm-hmm. correct. Yeah. But that took a long time. Tell us a little bit about that process. Yeah. So. Um, we started this process of trying to find a lease in uh, early 2016, and um, we submitted, uh, I think, four applications that were denied for different reasons. Denied. Denied. Right. <laughs> and uh, we finally found a, a little plot that the department decided that they were going to let us try there. But one of the reasons I think I remember you telling me when we went on the boat with you guys, mm-hmm. they were denied because of sea grass and stuff that was on the floor bed, right. correct? So wh- what we're doing is we're leasing a state-owned submerged land. This is land that belongs to all of us. Right. Um, we use it for recreational boating. We use it for fishing. Mm-hmm. And so in order for the state to allow us to lease the land, they want to verify that we're not going to impact an existing resource. Right. So you can't have any seagrasses, uh, no clam beds or oyster beds, or even hard bottom or corals, things like that. 
So you're limited to only a site that, that's just sand and mud. Right. Once we, you know, found the site that was suitable, we had to go through uh, an Army Corps of Engineers, or I'm sorry, a Coast Guard permitting. We had to get something called a patent permit, private mm-hmm. aid to navigation. Mm-hmm. Um, because the farming infrastructure that we're going to have out there is going to pose a hazard to recreational boaters, we had to do some things to uh, alert boaters that there are hazards present in the right, water. Right. So we have to install some pilings that had uh, marine lanterns on the top of them flashing every 15 seconds mm-hmm. and um, big bright yellow signs, signs with yeah. reflective borders. Yeah, she's... We Lori's. did. We saw them. <laughs> they had fl- blown off the bolts and everything. They're back up to the water and Brian just di- dove right in and dug them up. He found them. They're very heavy now. They're not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, it was a learning experience. Yeah. We, uh, we, we didn't have them beefed up enough. They were only... They're like eighth inch aluminum, and the the wind blew, and it just warped them back and forth, back right. and forth through the little hex head of the bolt, just pulled right through. In yeah. other places in Florida and across the country, um, there are places called aquaculture use zones. Um, so they're already designated mm-hmm. um, for oyster farming. So these people don't necessarily have to go through all of the processes that we had to go through, putting right. up their own infrastructure. But since it didn't quite exist in the Tampa Bay area yet, um, that's kind of what we had to go through. Right. More steps. And I think if I recall, after you were declined the first four times, you actually went and snorkeled the entire two acres of this farm to make sure <laughs> there was absolutely nothing down there that would prevent you from getting this lease. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm a lawyer right now. Is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> uh, because what it is, and by no fault of their own, there's a, a bit of a disconnect between, you know... I, I put together an application and I put it in the mail and then I I don't hear back for three or four months and Mm -hmm. then they send a guy down to do a survey and then he says no. From Tallahassee. From Tallahassee. And so, you know, every time you go through this process, it's like, well, that was six months. Let's try again. And then Mm -hmm. they send back your money that you sent with the application fee. So Brian eventually was like, just keep it. I'm going to find a plot of land eventually. (laughs) It's happening. I'm not giving up. up. I'm not giving up. That's right. Well, I commend you for your persistence. Absolutely, yes. And want to thank you for inviting us out on the boat that day. That was awesome. That was a blast. I loved it. A few things. One, I used to go out, talking about Barnegat Bay, New Jersey, when I was a kid. We had a boat, and we'd go out to Barnegat Bay, and mm-hmm. I haven't been out on the water on a boat in a long time, so just that was a blast. That yes. was fun. And Lori's like, yeah, so uh, Saturday we're going to go see the oyster farm, and I'm thinking, okay, what... <laughs> when you were talking about you were talking about different ways that they harvest oysters, mm-hmm. and one of the ways you said is called raccooning, <laughs> and that that's when the tide's low and they just kind of walk out and pick them out. Yeah, this is for what wild I oysters. this is what I pictured. Right, <laughs> this is what it's nothing like that. Yeah, no, this it's, is the new new way to eat oysters. Right. Yeah. So, kind of traditionally, the the old way of farming oysters is. You know, you would spread a bunch of them on the bottom. Uh, you, maybe you got them from a hatchery, or you would dredge up like seed-sized oysters from public lands, and then you relay them to your lease, and then you tend to them. And uh, you know, after a couple of years, you you might have a farm product. But some of the downfalls of that that kind of farming uh, would be that that you have now have something that's it's six feet underwater that you have to go down mm-hmm. there and get. Right, that can right. be a labor-intensive process. It makes it almost impossible for you to, to stay on top of what's happening to your animals in the water. You don't know. You, you, you can't get your hands on them and touch them every day. Mm-hmm. So the way that we're doing it is it's, uh, 
it's full water column aquaculture. So we're growing the oysters in floating bags that are floating at the surface. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the idea is, is uh, by placing them at the surface, uh, it makes it a a lot easier for us to get to them. Mm -hmm. Um, We're putting them in a more productive part of the water column. So they're like half floating, half submerged kind of. Yeah. So they're submerged. Yeah. They float on top because you have these little raft floater. Mm -hmm. things. But they're they're just below the surface. Right. So yeah, if you could imagine a, a pillow, that's about the shape of one of our bags. Yeah, like a regular right. pillow. And on the top of the pillow, we have two Pringles cans mm-hmm. that are like floats. Right. Right. That, that so with those floats are floating at. They're the not. Surface. They're not literally Pringles. <laughs> no, they're 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 a little bit larger. But they're than that. shaped and sized, kind of like that. You can yeah. actually go to stpetersburgfoodies.com and and search on lost oyster and look at pictures, lost coast oyster. And look at pictures of these bags. Absolutely. And, and, you make cool them your, them, and you make them in your home. We make them at our house. <laughs> we can do about eight in an hour now, just the two of us. And our mm-hmm. hands kill after we're done doing it. But yeah, it's kind of fun. We listen to a podcast usually while we're doing it. And they are definitely taking up our entire garage and both sides of our house. Uh-huh. And, you know, startup business. So right. it's fine. So you and you do different sizes of um, bags as far as the holes in the bags go. So when you start out with your juveniles do you call them or mm-hmm. seedlings or mm-hmm. yeah yeah seed. spat they are in the smaller size and then they spat right and then you tend to then you weed them out and move them up into the bags with larger holes to get more water flow that's right so yeah we start with a four millimeter bag uh four millimeters being the size of the hole mm-hmm. in the mesh and when we um stock the seed oysters in there the ones we get from a hatchery we have anywhere from probably six to ten thousand in a four millimeter bag as they grow, they occupy more space. They don't. We don't want them to get crowded. We right. want them to have enough flow. We move them up into a nine millimeter bag, and then we repeat the process again, and we have them in a fourteen millimeter bag for the final. And grow the farm up. continues growing. Mm-hmm. The farm and they continues. attach the bags to a line, so there's a rope out there, and they're attached to the rope. That's right. And then you're just going to continue to grow those ropes and bags, right? Yeah. Yep. Awesome. It'll look like, uh, you know, rows of corn in a field, but just out <laughs> in the water. I know. And, and everyone wants to ask you, what are they going to taste like? But who knows? Because you haven't harvested your first yeah, We don't know. Yet. We can only <laughs> guess right now. Well, we can only hope that they taste like those riptides, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That nice salinity those profile. great. We have a, a, a pretty high salinity at our site, around like 30, 31 parts mm-hmm. per thousand, where the ocean is about 35 parts per thousand. So it's at like the absolute upper limit of... of where oysters can be cultured so so would you hope that they so i know they won't be like the wild oysters that were as big as because those were Mm -hmm. a lot bigger than the riptides right right? do you think they'll be the size of the riptides but or maybe a little bit bigger because they're gulf oysters they can be any size um if we just keep them in the water longer they'll keep growing right so there's not really it's kind of Whenever we want to harvest them. I have a plan. And uh, our friend Matt Peterson suggested this to us. He wants us to leave some of them aside. And we just want to see (laughs) how big we can make it. Oh, God. The biggest oyster. (laughs) The oyster challenge. It'll just be in a cage by itself. (laughs) Right. That's forever. The the oyster that ate Tampa Bay. Yeah. Yeah, That's so funny. What are the uh, differences between a a wild oyster and a farmed oyster? So that's a... uh, that's a great question. We look at farm-raised oysters, and a lot of people they have a they have a negative connotation that's associated with any type of a farm-raised, farm-raised seafood yeah, product, right. right? You go to the market and you see a farm-raised salmon, you go Ugh. right. They want wild caught. Yes, 
It's actually the opposite for oysters. And the reason is, is that uh, oyster farming is a very sustainable practice. Uh, we're not harvesting f- these oysters from the wild. All the oysters that are stocked out at our farm, they're spawned at a hatchery. So mm-hmm. we're, we're creating something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, we're performing an ecological service. Um, mm-hmm. Every time we go out and we check on our bags, we have all kinds of little critters and crabs and animals that are living in this little ecosystem that we've created. Right. Um, and it also, it, 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 we don't put pressure on those wild harvest, um, uh, those wild stocks of oysters. Um, mm-hmm. In the Gulf region, oysters are keystone species, meaning that there are a number of other organisms and animals that rely on healthy populations of oysters in order to thrive. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the more we can do to kind of preserve our wild habitats of oysters, um, the better it'll be in the long run. Mm-hmm. And anybody that's curious where they can find some of your oysters, we're, we're going to figure that out. We haven't got that far yet. But They're all your, uh, your intention, though, is to uh, sell to restaurants. Yes, right? yes, that's the end game. Yeah, that's, we live in St. Petersburg, so we enjoy eating out at all the local establishments as much as we can. So our thought was to you know have them stay local. We really value local and sustainability here so i think um you know what we're doing kind of fits right into that so to have to have them in local restaurants here and to be able to enjoy them at places we eat would really be our goal so Mm -hmm. let's address the elephant in the room Mm -hmm. and the biggest thing people throw up or throw out to you not throw up (laughs) throw, throw out to you about the oysters from tampa bay is oh how can they be clean and safe right so uh, our site is located in the Terracia Aquatic Preserve. Uh, it's on the south side of the bay, kind of near, it's off just, Manatee County. Right, just across the Skyway mm-hmm. in Palmetto, right? That's right. The Palmetto area. And Terracia Aquatic Preserve is a Florida outstanding water body. There are several thousands of acres of state-owned lands that are surrounding the area that are never going to be slated for any type of development whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, furthermore, there are probably about a dozen clamors that have been growing hard clams in lower Tampa Bay for the past 20 years. Mm-hmm. So, um, two docks, right? Two That's, dock shellfish, yeah. uh, Kurt Hamill, right. um, lots of other folks out there. Mm-hmm. The easy way to say it is that the state wouldn't allow us to, obtain an oyster lease to do what we're going to do if it wasn't, um, you know, if the water quality couldn't support it. So Correct. Right, right. Yeah, and there, it's going to be up to us to check whether we can harvest or not, too. If there's some type of event going on where we're not able to harvest, right. um, we wouldn't, we wouldn't want to, you know, sell anything with our name on it that could potentially hurt anybody that right. they, if they consume it. So it's very well regulated. And like Brian mentioned, the water quality has been consistently rated very good quality right and where your oysters are they're surrounded by pretty much land on almost all sides i mean of course you can get to it through the canals Mm -hmm. but there's protection there even like i asked the question when we were out on the boat what would you do in the event of a hurricane yeah so um our lease area is situated in a place called joe bay and it's protected uh kind of on the west side by an island. It's protected on the east side by, um, you know, the land and the mangroves there. So um, we, we really are uh, afforded a lot of protection there in the event of a big um, storm or something like that. Right, right. 
And but, you said that you could just drop them because you can c- take them from the line and drop them to the bottom, the, the bags. If yeah, you to. so we could go down the line and uh, remove all of the floats that we have and mm-hmm. then sink them to the bottom with the idea being that uh, they won't get exposed to the uh, wind yeah. and wave action right. that'll take them and make them go bye-bye. I know, that would be horrible. <laughs> be. It's not going to happen though, so yeah. it'll be fine. <laughs> never say never. Never say never, right. Well, thank you for bringing sustainable oyster aquaculture to Tampa Bay, and we look forward to the first harvest. For more information, the website is lostcoastoysters.com. Again, that's lostcoastoysters.com. You can also find a nice write-up that we did, that Lori did on stpetersburgfoodies.com. And Brian and Lindsay Rossiger of Lost Coast Oyster. Thank you. Thank Thank you you very much. Thank you so much much. for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. We'll be right back. Craving some good grub in the Tampa Bay area, but not sure where to go for dinner this weekend? Don't worry, I got you covered, guys. I'm Candace Avilez, host of Food for Thought. It's a food show where I basically explore different restaurants throughout the Tampa Bay area. Get ready for some drool-worthy, delicious dishes that are going to get you off the couch and into those restaurants and having a great night overall. You can watch my show on 10 News. It airs Thursday mornings. And also, if you're online, it's on our Food for Thought YouTube page. See you then, and if you love a restaurant, let me know on Instagram. This is Betty Fox, and you're listening to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. Welcome back to the St. Petersburg Foodies Podcast. Our music segment, which showcases local artists, is brought to you by One Step Media and Kate Reuter. One Step Media provides management, marketing, and booking services to independent artists, and Kate herself is also a singer-songwriter. Our musical guest today is Scott Anderson. Scott is a solo singer-songwriter-guitarist that has been playing and performing professionally for over 25 years. He plays covers and originals all over Tampa Bay and has toured the U.S. for 15 years prior. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thank you, sir. Are you prepared? For as prepared as I can be. Fast Five Foodies questions. Yes, I think so. Some people <laughs> think they're tough. I think they're easy. Okay. Okay. The first one is, what's your favorite food? That's really tough. <laughs> uh, probably as silly as it is I, it's, it's gonna be pizza it's okay just, I like pizza I like it I don't think there would be too many people that would argue with you on that one pizza's I think a lot of people's favorite yeah and it's definitely one of mine the next question what's your least favorite food blue cheese no way the only thing I won't Really, ever, ever order for any reason. This is one of the rare interviews that Lori is missing. She's not here at the moment. And that's a good thing. if she was, she would be so happy that you said that. Oh, really? She hates blue cheese. Ew, gross. Do you see how fast I answered that one? (laughs) See how hard it was to answer the first one? So (laughs) I'm going to take your share and Lori's share of the blue cheese in the world for myself. All right. (laughs) What's your favorite restaurant in St. Pete? Oh, man. Does it have to be St. Pete proper? No. I, wow. You know, I, I commented on your page one time, I eat out almost every single meal. Okay. So it's almost impossible for me to answer that. To, to like pick up one. Yeah. Right? So how about a few? So places that I go to a lot, because I like pizza, and I just happen to <laughs> find Little Italy. Toby's Little Italy mm-hmm. is uh, a regular spot for me. Yep. They, they made our top 10 pizzas. Yes. Peepos down on Bay Pines, mm-hmm. the Cuban. Mm-hmm. Pretty common stop for me. Yeah, uh, I like stuff that's quicker because I'm usually eating by myself. Right. So mm-hmm. If I'm going to have a night out, I would probably say Il Ritorno. Mm, uh-huh. Yep, that's, 
Lori's number one favorite. Yeah, that's it's, it's one of mine. Yeah. I'm, I'm like you. I can't pick a number one favorite. Yeah, yeah. Even though we ask that question to everybody. Right, right. <laughs> I'd be like, I don't have... I can't and pick believe one. it or not, last one, I have to throw it in. But the case at Mazzaro's where you mm-hmm. just get to look at a hundred different things uh-huh. and pick and choose. Oh, yeah. I mean, how can totally. you beat that? Yeah. Mazzaro's is great, too. Salt or pepper? Pepper. Pepper. Okay. You're on my team on that one. Lori's team on a blue cheese. Can you cook? Yes. Yes, but you eat out most of the time, so when you do cook, what do you cook? Simple stuff. You know, I'll cook in bulk, so I'll go buy a family pack of chicken breasts and put Mm -hmm. them in a, you know, a baking dish and throw the whole thing in the oven at the same time and then just freeze them up. Okay, yeah. Pull them out. If it's steak, I'll just, you know, cook one at a time for steak, but... Right, that's... Yeah, yeah, better practice on steak for sure. But yeah, that's usually it, like chicken steak and then some sort of veggie salad thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's enough on the food for now. Let's, okay. let's get into music. All right. So you have an album titled Twitch, which is also your nickname. It used to be your stage name, but now you're just going by Scott Anderson, right? I st- still so many people around here know me as Twitch that I still use it. So a lot of my promo, it just says Scott Twitch Anderson. Right. So there's an interesting story regarding the nickname and also regarding it in relation to when you play music, too. Correct. Uh, I have Tourette's Syndrome, mm-hmm. and I did a, a, a lot of events that were youth-oriented events. A lot of them were uh, sponsored by religious organizations, church organizations, mm-hmm. and I would oftentimes refer to overcoming your obstacles and how... You know, my faith played into that. And my largest obstacle was dealing with Tourette's, especially mm-hmm. growing up junior high, rough. You know, mm-hmm. you're at your peak as far as your symptoms go. So you're an easy target to may- be made right. fun of. And the more I started addressing that issue, the response that I saw afterwards from f- mostly families, if I did a family event, parents waiting in line just to talk to me because their child was struggling with the same thing. Uh-huh. So I felt like it was uh, kind of an indicator that I needed to focus a little more on that. Mm-hmm. So I wound up deciding to call myself Twitch and did a record that was called Twitch. I sent mm-hmm. it to the National Threat Center Association up in New York City, introduced myself, and uh, they responded um, with pretty wide open arms. And I wound up going up there, and every other year they do a, an international conference with the leading medical experts and uh, you know people that are uh, really trying to address that issue. And mm-hmm. they they go in and they do a lobbying day where they go in, all of them go in and uh, speak to the you know the the Congress. And so I went up there. They had me as a performer for one of those oh, years. That's and then, awesome. One thing I want to add that you didn't tell yet is that when you perform when you play music you have none of your symptoms they go away virtually disappear um until as soon as i stop my arm will go my Mm -hmm. face will go Mm -hmm. and um it's similar to uh the old country guy back in the day mel tillis if you remember that name he couldn't speak a sentence without stuttering but he could sing straight through. Uh-huh. Okay, I know of him, but I did not know that. Yeah, he, that was what he was famous for. He, was, he, was, you know, he couldn't say a sentence without stuttering. I, I know another local musician, same thing. I don't know if he wants us talking about it, so I'll tell you sure. when we go off. Sure. People that may know about Tourette's from watching TV or movies, they typically have a character that is like just 
curses correct uh incontrollably right that's that's not what you do no it's called coprolalia mm-hmm. and it's uh it's in about they they think probably about 15 percent of the people with Tourette's actually experience it right. and it's not just cursing it's just it could be anything inappropriate right um, so so just, good thing because otherwise you might have had to name the album <laughs> you right exactly <laughs> I swear less than most people that don't have Tourette's. Right, right. I probably swear more than that. As we said, the LP is Twitch. There's 15 songs on it. Yep. The song, I'd happen to pick everything you do just because I really liked it a lot. And you were telling me something about that as well. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a, probably the, the most aggressive song on, on the whole thing. So I don't know what that says has, about me. but It's dry. <laughs> not lyrically. I mean, it's a very, you know, I mean, it, you know there's nothing negative or angry about it but it's just musically it's just you know a lot of stuff going on so, so I, I rarely do it acoustically so and one of the reasons i liked it is that the intro and verse to me anyway is so different than the chorus like the the intro and verse reminds me of primus a little bit but the chorus is like a little bit of hootie mixed in with matchbox 20 wow that's interesting cuz it's when people are asked to describe who I sound like, they can never name one thing. Mm-hmm. No, never cool. one band, never one artist. And even when they ask me, like, well, who would you compare yourself to? I just, I, I don't. <laughs> pick, pick one. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, there's so much influence in all of what I do that it's just... You know. And I have to give Lori credit. She came up with Hootie mixed in with Matchbox 20. Okay. I came up with Primus. So she's uh, gonna be, I, she'll I, be listening I, to this. I love Les Claypool, which is interesting, but I don't play bass, but... Right. He's amazing. So. Yeah, he totally is. What is the song about? Just, you know, you, you meet someone that just makes all the bells go off. And mm-hmm. uh, it was just, a, you know, trying to put all that Presses all the right into, into one, you know, three-minute songs. Awesome. And is it in the key of E? I, you're going to laugh at me that I really don't. Okay, that's this okay. is probably the, one of the hardest things for me. Is I really know nothing about music. Okay, that's okay. And actually, most I could of the- figure it out by just right now. I could figure it out, but do you know much about the guitar? Yeah, I, I, I'm, so pretty, I'm pretty sure the, it's an A. This, my guitar is always a half step down, ah, so it's not tuned to a normal A. Okay, it's a half step down. I drop the bottom E string to a D, oh, cool. and I capo it up to the fifth fret. So oh, where right. I am at that point, I just don't okay. know. So that probably gives you. I a, can figure a, it out. Probably gives you a more fuller sound. Correct. Yeah. By tuning so it's down. a little trick, you know. That's like, pretty cool. Yeah. I like that. So the website is twitch.us, T-W-I-T-C-H dot U-S. Yes. And Scott, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Here we are with Scott Anderson and everything you do. What I'm 
Items on stpetersburgfoodies.com include a contest where you can win free Dole Whip for a year from Pacific Counter. We have a write-up on the five best places for poke bowls in St. Petersburg. We have a news item on the Grand Central Brew House and Restaurant that's going where Taco Bus used to be in the Grand Central District. They just broke ground on that last week. And we also have Grumpy Gringo news. And no, that's not about me. Grumpy Gringo used to be Taco Sun over by Home Depot. They are now Grumpy Gringo, and they're opening a new location in downtown St. Pete where Burrito Border used to be. Next week on the podcast, we have Bora Kaliskan from Mio's Grill and Cafe. If you'd like to email us, you can send it to info at stpetersburgfoodies.com. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, also iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Player FM amongst several others. 
And remember, you can also listen to us on your voice-activated home assistant, such as Apple HomePod, Amazon Echo, and Google Home. Just say the uh, keyword to wake them up and say, play the St. Petersburg Foodies podcast. That's it for this episode of the St. Petersburg Foodies podcast. Thank you for listening. Thanks to our guests, Brian and Lindsay Rossiger. And Scott Anderson. And thanks to our sponsors. Brass Bowl Kitchen and Juicery. Pacific Counter. Booyah Ramen. And and Engine engine Number number nine. 9. Our announcer is Candace Aviles from Meet the Chef and Channel 10 News. And our theme music is provided by the Chris Walker Band. We'd like to remind you to check out all the latest restaurant reviews, foodies news, top 10 lists, and updated happy hours on stpetersburgfoodies.com. Please give us a rating and review on whichever app you're using to listen to the show. And remember to share the show with your foodie friends. Until Until next time, time, may your food be hot and your bubbly cold. Spread some mustard on the toast. You take your knife and you smear.